podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. Um, We're still part of our summer specials. So we're speaking about culture, we're speaking about engagement, employee experience, measurement around those types of things. But the focus of today's episode is something a little bit different. So we're going to have a conversation again with a guest. And in this conversation, we're focusing specifically on feedback. So feedback's a bit of a tool to help change cultures, but it's also an integral part of cultures and employee experience. So um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Yeah, so Joe Hirsch is going to be our guest today, and he came to our attention for a couple of reasons, but especially we we recorded an episode on feedback recently. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, not so recently, I guess now, but it, it really stuck with us. And I think um, that role of feedback and how it can build trust within organizations links really, really quite closely to some of the stuff we've talked about. Um, Joe, uh, really looking forward to this conversation because uh, Joe has a really interesting background and he brings a lot of his uh, knowledge from originally the education sector. So yeah. hugely interested in that. I think there's many parallels between education and learning and development in this space. Um, and I guess uh, just before we kick off, probably worth mentioning, if you're interested in what you hear um, check out us on social media and you will be able to find links to Joe's website and uh, his social media handles. But also, if you want to have a conversation with us, uh, don't forget, you can always reach us on www.thewowpodcast.org and you can find us on Twitter at The Wow Podcast. We're also, as always, on LinkedIn. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You know you know the usuals. Yeah, all the good places. And we'd really love to hear, um, hear what you think of this because I think... Uh, it was a pretty thought-provoking conversation. Yeah, a really interesting conversation. And I think the whole series is kind of interesting, doing something a bit different, a bit summertime. So, Yeah, and also he's from Texas. So yeah. it's a great, whole great accent thing. Yeah, we've been going around the world with our yeah, conversations. Yeah, we are, we are slowly working our way around the world. Uh, so without further ado, I think it's probably time to hand over to our conversation with Joe. Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. All right, so let's jump into the, the core of this episode. Uh, as we said in the intro, we're going to be speaking about feedback. We're going to be speaking about feedback cultures, creating them, what they mean for organizations, how to be good at feedback. Um, and we've got a great guest. We've got Joe Hirsch joining us here from uh, Texas. Um, we're all dialed in. He's here and ready to chat. So, Joe, why don't we start by maybe having a bit of an introduction from you about your background, your interest in feedback, and some things like that. Hey, guys. Good morning. Great to be with you and great to be with all your listeners today. Uh, I come from the education space where... I've spent about 10 plus years helping educational institutions, primarily in the K-12 market, design and deliver great feedback structures to improve and impact the way learning uh, achieves across classrooms and beyond. And over the last two years, have moved my focus into the corporate space where I'm now fairly active in working with uh, mid-sized to large-sized companies, uh, doing much of the same work, giving high-performance feedback, and creating positive uh, and um, high impact cultures for those organizations. That's really great. Thanks, Joe. Um, this whole series that we're talking uh, to different people is exploring culture, engagement, um, and their relationship and what people can do to influence them. But it would be really good to just start at the very beginning and ask you to explain a little bit about what feedback means to you. Hmm. To me, feedback is helping 
helping people see themselves in a much more powerful way, a much clearer way than they ever have before. So often we're telling people what we see when we give them feedback. I think that this is the job that you've done. I think this is the job you didn't do. I think this is the person that you are. And a much more helpful approach to giving feedback is not looking at who people are, but at looking at instead at who they are becoming, taking a much more developmental view of that individual and viewing them as still emerging and still growing and doing whatever you can as a manager to support that growth. Yeah, okay, that's, that's really interesting. So it's very much of a forward-looking view and, and everybody's evolving and changing. Is that a, a fair summary? I do. I think it's really important to, to not look back at a past that people can't change because ultimately that is not something they can control. If yeah. we want people to do their best work and be their best selves, we have to help them script that brighter, better future. And that starts with that forward-looking view of who they are and who they can be. Yeah, that's fantastic. So if you embody this type of feedback in an organization, what type of impact do you think it has on an organization's culture and things like engagement? I think people become much more trusting of each other. And with that, uh, much more likely not only to receive feedback well, but also ask for feedback more readily. And these higher trust conversations are really important because they enable people to feel confident and competent in their work. Uh, it also changes the whole conversation around engagement from something that we do to someone to something that we do for someone and with someone. Ultimately, engaged workplaces are not the result of um, frills or, or, or small perks, though those certainly help. Yep. Uh, a highly engaged workforce is one uh, that is recognized for its unique strengths and contributions and feels that every member of that team has voice in shaping that culture and is valued as part of making that organization great. So when you think about feedback, are you thinking of it in any specific direction or how does feedback flow in your interpretation of a good organization? It always starts with the manager, so it's always going to drip down uh, at first. Ultimately, that is a major role of management is to shape and direct the path for all the members of the team. But the way that managers approach those conversations is really crucial. And here is where I think shaping a different mindset is very helpful, you know, from looking back at a past that people can't change towards a future that they can. As often the case, most feedback conversations suffer from judgment and bias and time lapse. Yeah. These conversations are not normally happening in real time. Often there is a significant amount of time, whether it's weeks or sometimes even an entire quarter yeah. or even um, several months before uh, these conversations are held. And they're held under high stakes, high stress uh, conditions that bring out people's worst, that trigger the fight or flight syndrome, that flood the brain with toxic stress, and that don't actually promote any sort of partnership between manager and employee. And as a result of that, uh, people naturally become defensive, conversations take on an aura of judgment, and ultimately people leave those conversations feeling depleted, not whole. But if managers shift their mindset uh, towards thinking about these conversations, not so much as judgment, but partnership, and not oriented towards the past, but rather looking out towards the future, and they make these conversations happen 
in real time, not just some of the time, then it shapes a totally different tone and trajectory for these feedback conversations. It can actually, according to research, uh, trigger uh, feelings of, uh, of wholeness, feelings of accomplishment, of strengths, and that ultimately uh, brings out people's best, not their worst, and changes the dynamic of managers to employees from one of fear and judgment to one of partnership and growth. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there, isn't there? I mean, you know, the, the reflection on the mindset is, it, it, in a sort of interpretation for me, there's a, a little bit in there about the intention of the people giving feedback as well as their approach to it. Um, but I also, I also think we've, we've spoken to um, a couple of different people uh, over the last uh, few episodes about this role of manager and the relationship between the manager and the employee and yeah. how it gets dismissed quite often. And we look to leaders and organizations and uh, C-suite quite often to formulate the organization. And yet what it sounds like you're saying is that when you get the relationship and the culture of that relationship right between the manager and the employee, really great things can happen. Feedback is all about relationships. It can't just be about reporting. Uh, and when we look at sort of the, the long history of feedback, starting, you know, back in the, at least in the States here, uh, formerly back in the 1950s with regulation on the federal level for federal employees and, and then evolving in the 1980s with forced rankings and cascading um, objectives pioneered by organizations like GE and Microsoft to where we are today, which is a much more holistic view of performance. It's so clear based on experience and research that people do their best work when they feel like they're given voice and choice in that process. And when conversations uh, starting at the management level take on that level of partnership where managers approach um, really as a partner and, and not someone um, trying to play gotcha, but rather I got ya, then, then that changes the dynamic of that relationship. It leads to more trusting conditions and ultimately to better work. So it's something that every manager can do and really every manager should do. I've, I've certainly seen a lot of that. Um, we've got you where, where uh, feedback is used as a way to kind of, um, you know, evidence that somebody is in a certain place in a performance structure or performance assessment matrix, that kind of thing. And, and that can be really quite toxic and, and it's certainly detrimental. Um, how do you think people go about shifting their mindset and, and what are some of the barriers that people have from, uh, of moving from, you know, that, that sort of gotcha mentality to the, I got to you mentality? For many managers, they feel, uh, time pressed and, and really ill prepared to have these conversations. They know that the current model of feedback often isn't working for them. They realize all the problems, the time lapse, the toxic stress, the rate of bias, but they also are looking for solutions and those are not easy to come by. Uh, many managers have moved into their roles as a result of technical skill or savvy, but they don't necessarily have the people skills to match the technical side of their expertise. And so they look at all the things they need to do as managers uh, in terms of moving projects and people forward and they start to wonder, well, how am I possibly going to develop you know, more of a coach approach to leading my team. It just doesn't seem like something that I can do or that I'm trained to do. And so one of the things I, I really urge leaders um, to pay attention to in my work with them is, is the natural coachability of every single leader. That we all have uh, in us 
the ability to ask better questions, become better listeners, and shape the path for individuals to navigate those next steps together with us. And in many ways, managers feel relieved when they, when they can unburden themselves from having to own this process of performance management, which really falls squarely on the manager, to people development, which is a shared process between manager and employee. Do, do you feel that um, managers in organizations are in a position to, to make that sort of judgment call and, and make that shift from sort of performance management to people development on their own? Or do you think that's part of a broader cultural uh, framework within the organization? It definitely starts uh, at the very, very top and organizations that have been successful uh, at moving these conversations forward have consciously and deliberately changed some of their performance management practices. Um, major companies here in the United States like Adobe, Gap, Medtronic, uh, uh, Microsoft, Accenture, these are companies with operations both in the US and abroad that, uh, that have consciously moved their performance management structures towards a much more um, holistic check-in model away from ratings and metrics, though those are definitely still a part of their uh, system. And in doing so, have given permission for managers to have these conversations uh, more of the time and in real time with their employees. So it definitely has to start um, at the top level, but even if your organization may hold to legacy structures or legacy thinking, it is still something that every manager can do himself or herself in his or her team. Uh, it's just uh, really about creating the conditions for those conversations to unfold and occur. Okay. So the organization that I was in, uh, as I was leaving, it was making the transition from, you know, um, a kind of like monthly one-to-ones and quarterly performance assessment with half yearly and annual performance ratings towards the check-in model. And, and so I, I've seen that coming in and, and working in larger organizations, but that takes time. And, and certainly in my experience, the managers there and the leaders there are still a little bit reticent to do it. So some people are having check-ins, but really they're one-to-ones. How, how, in your experience, how long does it take for organizations to make that change? Some of the teams that I've worked with have taken um, as much as two to three years to really roll out a complete, um, a complete revamp of the performance management structures. But while that's going on, I've always urged them to accrue small wins where they can and to find these pockets uh, of adaptability so that they can start to roll the process um, in a very positive way and build momentum internally, even as um, the larger changes unfold organizationally. And some of those techniques are, are really so simple uh, to do. And it starts with, with just very simple adjustments in the way that you're holding these conversations. As an example, often managers will, out of fear or lack of confidence, resort to uh, you know, a praise sandwich when giving feedback to an employee, yeah. which is, it's the worst. <laughs> because while there's definitely a, a, a role for praise, I think praise is super important uh, in terms of recognition of people's work. Praise sandwiches uh, don't really do that very well. The problem with the praise sandwich isn't the praise, it's the sandwich. Yep. Uh, and that's because when you are trying to disguise criticism between two pieces of praise, uh, our brains tend to detect only the very last thing that is said. So if the end of that statement is something very positive, we tend to reflect only on that piece of information, not the critical piece that came before it. Yep. And there's other research that shows that when I approach you as your manager with 
what really seems as gauzy praise, it, it just comes across as very manipulative and, um, and, and really engenders a, a fear response, not a trust response. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. And if I come to you and I say, Jane, you're, you know, you're such a great employee and you're thinking like, well, wh what's about to happen? <laughs> here, here comes the boom. Yeah. And you're not even really treating that um, with any sort of authenticity or, or favor. You're just thinking about, well, my manager is manipulating me and my manager is, is trying to butter me up before really telling me what he or she thinks. And so it really comes across as very inauthentic. Yeah. So for those reasons, the, the lack of authenticity, the lack of, um, the lack of actionable change, they don't work. And instead, I, I, I work with leaders on developing a much simpler, more direct approach uh, that I call a feedback wrap. The uh, wrap stands for uh, different stages of that feedback conversation. What and where, reason, affect, and prompt. Okay. And these four stages represent four uh, direct intentions by the manager to move the conversation uh, into a very clearly defined space that focuses on um, non-judgmental statements that actively seeks input from the employee and ultimately entrusts the employee with a larger share of, of what happens next. Yeah. Could you run us through some of these processes? So, so I've made a note, it's what and where, reason, affect, and prompt. So if we start, and, and if we think about what and where, um, if you're, you know, if we're speaking to somebody who's maybe new to management or, or looking to improve their feedback style, what does the what and where stage mean to them? What, what do they do practically at that stage? So the first thing you want to do as a manager is give a very specific destination um, to the feedback. If you approach someone and say, can I give you some feedback? With, with that kind of vague approach, immediately the receiver is going to start imagining worst case scenarios. That really toxic stress that floods the brains whenever we feel that our status is challenged or there's a lack of safety, immediately um, goes into high alert. And to de-escalate that, telling the person, uh, James, can we talk about uh, what happened at the meeting this morning when you talked over uh, the rest of the team? So immediately you know now that this is going to be about what happened earlier today at the meeting, yeah. specifically the way you talked over others at the meeting, not the ideas you had, not your performance in general, not your timeliness, not, not the product of your, uh, um, of your work, not your written correspondence, not your forward-facing interactions with clients. It's really just about that meeting. Yes. So that doesn't eliminate all the fear, but it does mitigate it. Yeah, it, it and then you get into the reason. Yeah, yeah because right. as often the case, you know, we, we, don't, we don't know or, or maybe aren't as aware of how we show up to others as we think. Yeah. And it's sometimes important for, for managers to reflect that back onto the individual and to help them understand the impact of that. Um, and why it, it rose to a level uh, of being feedback worthy. So if I said, so James, um, can we talk about what happened earlier at the meeting? Uh, you know, I noticed, you know, that uh, at the meeting, people didn't get a chance to, to speak up. You, you kind of dominated the conversation. And the reason why I think that um, was a problem was because I just, I saw people wanting to share and get their ideas out and they didn't seem to have a chance. Now, you, you as a manager may think, well, isn't that condescending? I mean, <laughs> we're all adults. Why do I have to tell people yeah. 
yeah. about the reason why something matters, can't they intuit that on their own? And the answer is they usually can, but they can't always. Yeah. And it's helpful for us to clarify that. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're traveling and you're on a plane and you're grounded on the runway and you're waiting to take off and you don't know why the plane hasn't departed. And all of a sudden the captain gets on and says, well, uh, passengers just want to let you know that the reason we've had a bit of a delay is because uh, there's been uh, a slight mechanical failure with one of our uh, signal lights on the outer wing. We're hoping to get that corrected shortly and we'll be taking off uh, within the next 10 minutes. Yeah. So, so it just de-escalates all the stress, all the fear and wondering what's going on. Is it terrorism? Is it something else? Is there some problem? Knowing what the issue is de-escalates that stress and in, in many ways puts people at ease. You as the manager spelling that out to the individual can do much of the same. So giving it a destination, giving a reason, uh, telling them what and where and why it matters goes a long way to making them feel more comfortable with the conversation. That all makes sense. So, so the combined effect of um, you know, the what, where, and to some extent the reason, that, that kind of shuts down the brain's need to speculate about what's going on. So I exactly. guess people don't know, people are investing mental energy, they're hypothesizing, they might be thinking about worst case scenarios and, and their minds will wander. But if you eliminate that, then that sort of, um, you know, uh, mental energy that's lacking clear focus and direction goes away. Is that the kind of core of what you're getting at with some of this stuff? It is, and it can really um, allow the conversation to be much more productive because I'm not approaching the conversation anymore in a defensive crouch. Yeah. Uh, I, I am very aware of what you're saying and what you're, what you're trying to get at. I may still push back, and that'll come about in the latter two stages of this, of this uh, rap model, mm -hmm. but that is a much healthier place to be than thinking, well, here he comes, my manager's coming at me with guns blazing, I'm now going to stand on my ground, uh, and already the, the fear, the loathing, the stress, the judgment, and the aggression that clouds the whole conversation. It's very difficult to have a, a meaningful and constructive conversation when everyone's guard is raised and their stress levels are spiked. So de-escalating that as much as possible is something a manager can do quite simply by identifying specifically what he or she wants to talk about and why it rose to a level of necessity. And I guess, you know, to do that, managers need to make sure that they're prepared. They can't just rush into some stuff. They need to have some clarity of, of what and why they're providing feedback, which is probably best practice for them anyway. Absolutely. So let, let's move on to the A then. So, so what do we mean by effect in this model? So most of the time, uh, the reason why feedback conversations go sideways is because of the judgment that's involved. And yeah. there's tremendous research that supports the fact that most of the time, when managers give feedback to an employee, it's a greater reflection of the manager's priorities than the employee's actual work. Okay, yeah. Something known as the idiosyncratic rater effect, that most of the time, the, the lens to which I choose to see your performance is shaped and sized based on what I deem to be very important or experiences that I have had in my career that in turn informs everything I see or believe about you. And moving the conversation out of the zone of judgment and into uh, a safer uh, space of emotions from I statements, uh, from you statements to I statements, as opposed to saying, 
you've done this or you've done that or you didn't do this to I felt or I believed or I noticed or I wonder gets to a universal human truth. And that is that people can argue with what we say, but they can't really debate how we feel. Yeah. And it is in that area where affect becomes so important. Telling the individual, hey, James, um, you know, when you were talking over everyone earlier at the meeting today, I felt bad for them because I saw them trying to, to get, you know, some space and time and to share those ideas. And it didn't seem like they really had an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Now, what are you going to say? You, you could either at that point completely deny everything I've just told you. Yeah. Or you can reflect for a moment and say, actually, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Both outcomes are helpful. If you choose to become more reflective and to see it, you know, the way I presented it, then we can have a constructive conversation, which will get to the last step, which is the P. If it's not uh, the case, and sometimes this happens where you'll, you'll be very clear and direct about what's happening, where it's happening, why it matters to you, and the emotions it's caused, mm-hmm. and the recipient of that feedback may still push back or may still challenge your view. Yeah. That's also good because now at least you know exactly that this is an issue of perception it's not just an issue of practice right okay but you've gotten but you've gotten clear on where the issue is at this point yeah if after everything i've just said in the first three stages you still say i don't think that's true at all i think i gave ample opportunity for everyone to speak i think it was actually no one wanted to say anything i I was just filling the air because it was empty yeah so, so then that's a different conversation that's going to happen as a result of that. And maybe even the next steps change, yeah. but at least you know what the issue is. And, and that's the whole point of the wrap. Uh, at least the first three stages, yeah. it's to bring clarity and coherence to these conversations. And in doing that and being really specific about describing the frame of a uh, uh, feedback and focusing on the feelings that it engenders, you can zone in with, with, total clarity about what's happening, where it's happening, what it's causing in terms of the emotional toll on you, the manager and the team, and ultimately get to the final stage, which is where the employee gets much more of a say in the process. Okay, because as you said, I mean, it's fairly, pardon me, it's fairly one directional in that piece there. So we do the, the what and when, we do the reason, we, we talk about the effect and the sort of emotional consequence of it. But, but that is, um, Predominantly, the manager speaking at that stage, isn't it? So, so how does the, the prompt piece work then? How do you bring the employee in? So, at this point, uh, once you sort of laid everything out, it's really time for the manager to sit back and do more listening. And though though three of the four parts of the wrap um, are manager directed, the the greatest amount of time spent in these conversations is the final stage, the P, uh, with the employee, where you say to the employee. Okay, so James, um, do you see do you like do you see it uh, the way I'm seeing it? Or if you say if you say yeah, I do, then you would say okay. Well, well, what do you think we could do next? What would be the way to resolve this? Rather than prescribing the fix, you're asking him uh, to be more intentional about the process and to suggest his own way forward. And there's two important reasons why that should happen. Number one the employee may have a much better idea than you do uh, as in terms of how to move forward. Uh, I remember a time, uh, similar, a similar case like this, where 
high performer on a team tended to uh, just dominate conversations when the team was together. And ultimately, uh, the manager's instinct was to just silence the high performer to create more space for others. But instead of just imposing a change, he provoked an insight on the part of this individual who had a much better solution, which was he was going to um, employ a 3-1 rule, where for every three people uh, who spoke, then he would try to chime in with his own. He would wait to hear from three others before speaking himself. And so that 3-1 rule was something that came from the employee. It was his own solution to the problem. And as a result, it was uh, something that the employee could own. And that ultimately is the first big uh, real change here by, by opening this up to the employee and creating more voice for that person, that people are more likely to own change that comes from them rather than imposed upon them. But more importantly, it really engenders a second benefit, and that's agency. If we want people to become independent, fully formed uh, versions of themselves, the very best versions that they can be, we have to stop looking at our role as managers, as, uh, as bucket fillers, and we have to start looking uh, at our role as passion igniters. It has to be the case that uh, we set the conditions for people to do their best work and to take ownership of their own work, and when we start prompting them to think about that, set the conditions for that thinking to occur, and allow that change to naturally unfold, that's exactly what will happen. We'll be doing less of a job of managing our people, and we will be doing a much better job at developing them. So there's, there's, it's, re it's really interesting how you've described that because it, it speaks to at least two areas that we've covered theoretically beforehand. One is around um, the importance of uh, goal acceptance within goal setting. So when you're seeking to change or to improve something or to do something, uh, we know evidence tells us that, that when people at least accept that goal and there is some evidence around whether they set it or are involved in setting it, that they, they are more likely to be able to engage with it. And I think the other thing that's really important is coming out more and more now in psychology is around um, autonomy, autonomy self-determination um, and, and people's role in carving out their future, which is, you know, I know there's a number of sort of leading lights of people who like to be quoted. And, and I think Steve Jobs was one of them around, you know, you hire good people and you, you get out of the way, but you, you get out of the way whilst supporting them and encouraging them and stuff like that. I guess the bit that's really interesting to me is it's, you, you've articulated an incredibly clear, incredibly straightforward, but obviously very nuanced model um, in the RAP model. What, what in practical terms, because I know you're very passionate about the practical side, what's, what bit do you find that managers find hardest? Is there one part or two parts that are much harder or is it, is it a, you know, across the board, it's a challenge for them sometimes? So I think the, the hardest part about this is having the right language uh, to use in these conversations. Ultimately, since feedback is a relationship, it really has to be very natural for the manager and just using language that's comfortable and just becoming a good listener. But there is uh, definitely a need uh, that I've seen on the part of managers for uh, more, at least, uh, I would say, opening um, conversation points to guide these conversations and ultimately to guide the employee towards a point of reflection. And so I've developed a series of priming questions that are helpful for uh, these kinds of coaching conversations and performance partnerships. Uh, and those, those really range around four C's, uh, career, 
capabilities, connections, um, and communications. And all those, uh, all those four um, allow for a much more structured conversation, but really a body of, uh, a body of, of proven um, communication techniques that allow the individual to really reflect and to look back on what he or she has done and think about how they might move that forward. So how would you use one of those priming questions? What would an example of that in, you know, in, in, a, in a manager's um, uh, toolkit look like? So take a, uh, you know, something from the career category. I might say to a person, um, so after we have this conversation, I lay it out for you and I say, okay, James, um, you know, we talked about what happened earlier at the meeting. We talked about some things that happened. You offered a few suggestions. I may then listen to what you have to say and my next response would be, okay, so that's very interesting. So you told me that you, you want to employ a 3-1 rule that you'll wait you know, for three people to speak before you speak. I think that's fantastic. Let me ask you, um, do, do you feel like this is an area um, of strength of yours? I mean, clearly you're very passionate about uh, the work you're doing and that's often sounds to me what leads you to step in. It's not trying, it's not that you're trying to over, you know, be overbearing, but it's just that you're quite passionate about your ideas. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what's energizing you at work. What are some of the things that are bringing out um, your passions? And uh, again, more, more about me trying to open up a, a bigger conversation around you know, your career points and touch points for, for growth. And when I do that, again, I'm playing the role of a listener, trying to really carve out a space for you to, to help me understand where you are in, in terms of your uh, goals and priorities. And then to listen actively to what you have to say to see if I can detect any cues that can help me shape your path forward. And, uh, and what do you see the, the outcomes being from following these four C's? So, so if you, uh, we've been through the raft, you, you introduce a, a primer through career, you get me speaking about my career and, and opening that up. What, what's the outcome of that later on? Where, where does that lead? So it does two things. The, the first is that it creates a much, um, a much more pleasant and even uh, trusting relationship between manager and employee. Uh, when you, the employee, feel that I, as your manager, have a, a vested interest in your success, I'm, I'm moving uh, these conversations away from judgment and pushing them much more towards your own development, you feel like I have your back. That's the I got you, as opposed to I gotcha yeah. uh, uh, approach. And that, number one, uh, makes me want to do my best because I feel like I have an advocate and an ally in my boss and I wanna, I wanna do my best work because here is someone who's actively trying to help me and I want, to, I want to affirm that person's belief in me by doing my very best work. So there's a trust factor, but more importantly, it changes the nature of the way we look at performance conversations. Rather than trying to forensically reconstruct past performance months after it's occurred, managers have a much, uh, a much richer and steadier flow of insights about their employees and members of their team uh, by having these just-in-time conversations and moving feedback from something that happens only some of the time to something that happens more of the time. And the combination of those two factors, the high trust and the deeper insights, allows the manager to be much more skilled at making decisions about the employee, about where his or her best work uh, can best be deployed, 
where he or she uh, fits in within the organization, uh, decisions about compensation um, and, and advancement, and ultimately about making sure that the composition of the team is strongest. Sorry, just a, a question from me, really. All of that speaks to so much that James and I talk yeah. about all the time. And the challenge we quite often come against, and I think I mentioned it early doors, was um, around how do, you, how do you work with those above the management team? Um, so C-suite, senior leaders, board members, to uh, recognize that an investment in their managers is going to be the thing that can really uh, affect performance long-term. Because we seem to come up against the skin again where there, there seems to be this very top-down approach, which I think you mentioned at the beginning. And, and, and do you have any practical experience of influencing and changing people's opinion about that? One uh, group that I worked with here in the States uh, in the healthcare space was specifically concerned about the impact of attrition among some of its um, frontline care providers. Um, specifically here in the States, there's uh, a bit of attrition in the nursing industry, so there's a high turnover rate among um, floor nurses who are caring for patients directly. And it was um, a concern because many of these nurses attributed their decision to leave uh, to the nature of the relationship that they had with their floor manager, uh, also a medical professional, um, who was just offering um, confusing messages or def deflating messages about their performance. And the cost to attract and train and um, onboard new employees far exceeds the cost of just developing your existing workforce. That's quite clear. So that was the argument. It started with, uh, A, you have, you have a clear problem uh, in terms of your numbers. That's apparent to you. You are trying to solve your problem by just turning over your workforce and continually changing up your roles. Here's why that's not working for you, because every time you're bringing in new people in, you're starting over again, and ultimately that's bad for patient care. So that cascading effect of uh, what is soft ultimately is what is hard, <laughs> uh, that these soft skills that were not developed at a managerial level translated into hard losses for the organization. That message was one that upper management could understand. Yeah. Uh, very often they're, they're a little bit resistant to uh, the soft skills, which is a term I, I dislike greatly because there's nothing soft about this. This is the hardest work of, of organizational life, is the, these skills of communication, of trust, of feedback, of engagement. Uh, and so if you get that right and you set the dial just so that people feel like they have autonomy in their work, they feel like they're supported, they feel like they have um, latitude to do their very best and to make decisions about their work, ultimately they will, that will translate into gains on their performance side, which ultimately serves the interests of the organization, whether in the case of this healthcare organization, it translated into better patient care or whether it's other businesses or industries where that translates into financial gains, um, new clients, new business, holding on to customers uh, and the like. That's really helpful. Thank you. I think it's a certainly with some of the engagement that we experience with our listeners is that they, they recognize that something needs to change. They know they can't do the training themselves and there might be other people out there to help them, but they struggle to make the argument to the budget holders. Um, that there's a need to long-term invest. And I, I applaud you for, uh, applaud stroke love you for uh, 
calling out the term soft skills because I literally hate it. Um, it frustrates the living bejesus out of me that uh, people talk about something that is so difficult and is such a daily challenge to do it well uh, as something soft. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Uh, so I think that's all of my questions. James, did you have any others? Yeah, I mean, I've got lots more I'd love to chat about, but I, I just think <laughs> from a, a time perspective, we're kind of getting to, um, to the end of the conversation. So I think it's probably getting to be time to wrap up. I guess um, I'd check it out to you, Joe, and say, is there anything that you wish we'd asked you? Is there anything else that, that you think we should call out to the listeners? I think it's important that managers believe in their own ability to become great coaches. Ultimately, it is that ability uh, to lead with a coach approach that will set you apart in your work. It is something that may seem difficult to achieve at first, but it is within your reach and your ability to do. So number one, don't discount your ability to be a great coach. Number two, don't discount the impact that you can have within your organization, even if you feel like the organizational energy is moving against you. Start small, start with your early adopters and start to accrue small wins that ultimately will translate into larger victories. And, and then finally, I would urge managers um, when it comes to giving feedback to adopt a whole new mindset to the way they think about these conversations. They don't need to be heroes in these conversations. They just have to be supportive partners. And if they shift their mindset from, well, it is my job to fix you, to develop you and they think of themselves as allies who can actually bring out someone's best and look help them look out to a future that is much more positive then ultimately they will spend more of their time guiding people where to look rather than telling people what to see i think i think that's incredibly powerful we talk a lot about um how we would like to see in the certainly the organizations i work with and i think the same for james uh, people acknowledging that none of us are the finished product and all of us are making mistakes all the time and how that allows us to think very differently about then that helpful role of feedback because you're actually, you know, if there's an acknowledgement we're all an imperfect unfinished article, then there's that acknowledgement that someone is actually helping you by identifying where you might be able to make improvements. So love that. Thank you for that final thought. Um, Joe, it'd be really useful. I, I suspect we've just wet people's appetite about your work. So it'd be really useful if you could just call out maybe where people can find out more about what you do or what you talk about um, and your work and, and maybe where, where they might find you on social media. Absolutely. Uh, best place is at joehirsch.me, H-I-R-S-C-H dot M-E. Um, I write frequently for Inc. Uh, they can read some of my, my work um, over there. Um, and this concept of looking at someone who, uh, at who people are becoming, not just at who people are, was the topic of a TEDx talk I gave uh, just a few months ago, The Joy of Giving Feedback, uh, which is available um, at the TEDx channel as well. LinkedIn, Twitter, all those good places. Brilliant. And what we'll do is when we put this episode out, we'll make sure that we link to that TEDx talk as well so people can see it and also to your, uh, to your website as well so that people who've enjoyed the conversation and want to learn more and can begin to uh, access more of your material. I appreciate that. It has been a pleasure spending time with you guys this morning.
Yeah, likewise, if I'm honest, I suspect, I'm looking at James and he's smiling, I suspect we could have sat here all afternoon or in your terms, different time of the day, but for a long time talking about this, because I think what you say is very practical and, and, and absolutely the sort of thing that our listeners are interested in. So uh, thank you very much for your time and for your work. Yeah, thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure. Great, so welcome back. That was our, our chat um, with Joe. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I thought there were some great takeaways there in relation to feedback. and. Obviously, we, we've done a whole other episode on feedback, but this was a really different angle to me. Um, obviously, you know, Joe brought a lot of passion and experience, but I think he brought some new ideas as well. Yeah, and actually, uh, on reflection, I think there's there's a number of crossovers with our episode on trust as well as feedback. Absolutely. I feel like... Um, and emotional intelligence to some extent, but very much trust. Oh, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. That, but That's absolutely true. I think what I really like about Joe, and actually a number of the interviews we've done in this series, is this concept of practitioner versus learning yeah, and also this conversation about how we support the people doing the managing yeah. more. I cannot get over how often we are saying this is a conversation about how to manage people better and, and yet everything in the prevailing narrative in our sector at the moment is about leadership growth and emerging leaders and, and I do think there's a difference. Yeah and interestingly I mean if you listen through the various episodes we have of this sort of summer special season, nearly everybody speaks about the, the role of that middle middle tier of management, right? And and there's talk of underinvestment in them and the skills they need. And several people have spoken about uh, promotion due to technical excellence as opposed to management and leadership skills. It's such a, an interesting theme. It really is. And um, what I'd really like to do is go back to that coaching episode that we did and where we had that survey information about what yeah. things people were being looked for coaching in. And, and to pick out those things that sit within the middle management list, yeah. but not within the C-suite and the senior leadership and yeah. say, you know what, we need to look at these more. Yeah, so like delegation was one, there were some other things. Uh, there. there was delegation and um, the interpersonal skills absolutely appeared yeah. through all yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, but there was some stuff around dealing with change. And yeah. I just, I'd be really interested in, in looking yeah, back. really neat. And having a look and saying, you know, what do these people need? Because certainly in the nonprofit sector, they're not getting what they need. Yeah, yeah. And even in my experience in the large corporates, they get some things, but they get a diluted version of what the senior leaders get. Oh, that's so common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get, you get here's what they're getting and you get a little bit of it. Yep, yep. They spend two days on an offsite doing something and you can have the 30-minute web-based learning tool. Or the slides. Or the slides, <laughs> exactly. Print your own or watch them online or whatever. Um, in terms of the, the conversation with Joe, one thing that I really wanted to call out was the four C's that he talked about. So I love the, the concept of moving um, feedback conversations away from, you know, the semi-critical, uh, you know, performance-related conversations to the more collaborative, coached approach, um, future potential of individuals conversation. And for me, the four C's were a real way to do that. So prompts to move that conversation from a specific piece of, of feedback towards what it means for the future. So I thought that was interesting. I, I was really pleased with that. Yeah. I, 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 let's, let's put this back. Lots more to think about and potentially lots more to discuss around that, which just, I think, goes to show how something that seems like one simple pro subject, feedback, actually is huge. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, and as, as we said at the end of the show, as Joe said himself, you can, you can check him out. You can check out joehurch.me, I think, is, mm -hmm. is his address. And he's got some stuff on the TEDx site as well. And um, some of his publications in ink and, and other things like that. Yeah, and if I took one thing away, I'd take away soft skills ain't easy. Soft skills ain't soft. Soft skills ain't soft yeah, and they ain't easy. First. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, how hard it is to be a leader, how hard it is to be a it's manager, how hard. hard it is to be have good organizational yeah. citizenship. Yeah. Um it's an ongoing it's an ongoing battle every day, right? 
Yeah, try and be sure. your best self every day and every day hopefully you don't entirely miss the miss them yeah, all just do a little bit you know that's it we appreciate you listening uh we hope that we're introducing some interesting topics and um if you're enjoying it a uh, special plea from me we absolutely love it when we get feedback ourselves yeah. and we love it when we get reviews yeah. in any form. So if you listen to us on Spotify or iTunes, please give us a, a, a review or, or maybe a star rating. Um, and if you just want to give us feedback, don't forget at the Wild podcast. And, and I genuinely mean this. And so does James. If there's stuff you'd like to see more of or less of, tell us that too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're okay at taking feedback, I think, most of the time. Well, we'll soon find out, right? <laughs> yes, we will. We will. <laughs> All okay. Right. That's great. Um, I guess it's just time for us to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and it's until next time from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.